to As the Worm Turns. You're tuned in to KVNF's live call-in gardening show. I'm your host, Jill Spears, and I'm here with two of our favorite gardeners, organic gardeners. It is Lance Swaggart. Hi, Lance. Hi. Glad to have you here during the winter. And Amber Kleinman, our neighborhood worm. Hello. Happy to be in. Glad to have you, Amber. Amber's here to talk about pollinators. Super important topic. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get to that in a minute after we follow up with some emails we've received Mm -hmm. um, over the last couple of weeks. We have some great special guests over the last few Mm -hmm. weeks. That's true. Super fun to be talking about all kinds of different things. I'm going to give you the phone numbers, 527-4868-866, KVNF Now. You can always email worm at kvnf.org. And we've got several here. Uh, this is a follow-up to a call we had, um, I think, before our winter break. And it is from uh, Zoe and Dave in Montrose. And they had a problem with daughter. Do you remember that, Amber? I think oh, you were. Oh, yes. We were there, yeah. Yeah. And so she's asking for a reminder on uh, the nutrients for balancing the soil to get yeah. rid of that pesty daughter. Okay. It's, they didn't give any numbers, on, so you'll have to figure out the amounts on uh, balancing the soil for daughter, but it's calcium, magnesium, sodium, and potassium. So you'll have to check your uh, soil test and go from there. Okay. And um, maybe the CSU extension would be a good resource mm-hmm. for the, yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, they love helping with that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, that's their jam. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, super. Thank you, Zoe. I hope that that problem is going to resolve itself for you this year. Um, we also have a call, or excuse me, an email from Andrew, who saw your video on mm-hmm. YouTube, Lance, your high country garden. And um, he noticed a large plot of spinach that had a beautiful green bunch of leaves and is wondering, how do you prevent those type of vegetables from bolting? Okay. Well, that spinach there, if you plant spinach in the spring, it will bolt. Mm-hmm. No matter what. No matter what. It will bolt. Uh, but if you plant it in, uh, that that spinach is planted the, here, where I'm at, it's uh, 6,000 feet, it's planted the first week of August. And the days are getting shorter, and they're cooler. And it just grows, and grows, and grows. It's a much better time if you want that kind of those kind of greens to not bolt, you plant them for a fall crop, not the spring or early summer. I plant spinach in the spring, but after a certain point, maybe the first week of May, I don't plant any more spinach. Oh, okay. So either super early or, yeah. or later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that question, and uh, Andrew. I know a lot of people love planting mm-hmm. spinach, and it's easy to grow. So. Yeah. And then we were talking Hugo culture with Marta and Trace um, a couple weeks ago, and we have a couple questions about hay bales. So Lisa has a dozen bales, some hay, some straw, wants to repurpose her garden. What do you think about creating a garden bed? And her experience is that they dry out pretty quickly, um, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, you want me to go first? Yeah, go first. <laughs> um, uh, I think that, yes, they could dry out. I have messed with them in the past, not as a garden bed, but more as a compost enclosure. But um, it does make me think ergonomically they're a little difficult to work mm. with because you're bending over a very wide swath before you even reach the soil. So they might be a little, 
a little bad for the back. You could sit on them, I guess. But yeah. um, the hay will also start to grow, I would think. Um, sure. If you have straw, it'd be better. But mm-hmm. um, they may take off both, on you. If I'm yeah. right. And yes. if they're composted, they can make really great soil and great compost, though. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, there was a technique of actually planting right in the straw bales or hay bales. Mm-hmm. I don't recall the exact uh, process because they sort of have to like inoculate them or something. Like no yeah. soil. In you it? might dig into it a little bit, put some soil, put your seed or plant in there, huh. and go from there. But again, it's going to dry out unless you, uh, you know, Water in our high out. dry climate. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that that so bale's going to dry yeah, out quickly. Yeah, so mulching and or compost bins is probably the best thing. All right. And she's also wondering, um, can we use that hay or straw as part of one of the Hugel culture beds? Yes. Yeah, it seems any, like a good... Any organic matter. And it sounded like when we had Trace and Marta here that it was lots of big stuff, but they had small stuff packed in between. Well, there's your small stuff mm-hmm. and easy to work with. Right. All right. Sounds great. Thank you for your emails. And um, just a reminder that, you know, we always are sharing information and garden hacks are on (laughs) Amber's radar. (laughs) I just think it's something we can share together. Like if you have a little trick that you've learned about anything in your garden, um, (laughs) it would be fun to just email them in to the worm at kbnf.org and share them. It'd be fun to share. Yeah. Yeah. Here's here's one just popped in my head. Yeah. People are always worried about those really big taproot mallow plants. And they gotta dig the whole taproot out. No, you don't. Go an inch about below the ground, chop it off, and it will not come back. See? Okay. There, there you, you go. go. Save somebody <laughs> hours of time. Right. Right. There. right. Just go an <laughs> inch or so below that crown and you've got it. Okay. <laughs> Hack that, number one, and 2024. Taproot rots and opens up air and water to go up and down yeah use it to your advantage yep all right okay thank you for that lance i'm <laughs> gonna put that in our log <laughs> make a book right a coffee table book. <laughs> hey we could use that for pledge drive yeah, yeah. Fun. Oh, garden hacks and the worm right <laughs> all right five two seven four eight six eight eight six six kvnf now let's talk pollinators yes super important topic um and amber i'm gonna let you take it from there why okay. is it so important right okay now? well um i i i guess this comes to mind because uh people are always wanting to do something as an individual and you feel so like lost in these existential huge problems and how do we feel like we're doing something and so um Supporting biodiversity, supporting pollinators are something you can totally do with even the smallest amount of land, um, even if it's on, you know, a a hell strip on between the street and the sidewalk. Like it doesn't have to be prime. You can plant native plants and pollinator plants, and it will draw in more pollinators and create a space where that they can multiply. And so um, 
So yeah, this is a this is taking a big thing and breaking it into a right. small piece. Right, because when you look at the whole problem of climate change and just what's happening in the environment, it seems overwhelming and that it can't mm-hmm. be solved. Yeah, but we all, if every one, all of the billions of people just did one small thing, right, it would change up. So. Yeah. yeah. So this is one of these small things. So um, uh, Doug Talame is a he's a writer. But he's also um, an, an entomologist and uh, a conservationist, and he teaches at the uh, University of Delaware. And he has this concept of the homegrown national park. And so the idea of it is, so 83% of the land in the United States is all private property. So if half of all this land could be planted with native species and pollinator species, we could save the biodiversity of this land and so if there were and that's 20 million acres of land it would be the biggest national park in the united states and it would spread throughout the nation so there would be not only it wouldn't be all isolated in certain areas this would be spread out so evenly that the pollinators could travel from one end to the other it's like corridors of pollinators and so um, it it just is a very practical way of solving a really big problem Um, and so this is something we all can do you can look at your land look at trying to plant half of it with native species yeah Um, Let's talk about native plants in a minute, but David is on the line um, to talk about a new Colorado native pollinator insect study. So great, David. Glad to have you. Hi. Hi. Happy to be here. What you got Uh, for us? uh, This month. Sorry? What do you have for us? Okay. Uh, Just this month, uh, there was a report issued uh, that was uh, commissioned by the state of Colorado uh, and it's a 300-page report, which is available for free online, that, that I helped to write uh, on Colorado Native Pollinating Insects Health Study. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to get the, the statewide view of how pollinators are, insect pollinators are doing in, uh, in Colorado, this is, uh, uh, this is a hot ticket right now. And part of the information in there was some suggestions about actions to address uh, native pollinator health priorities, and in fact, there's a, uh, a bill that's been proposed now to the state legislature uh, that would help uh, follow through on one of those recommendations, which is to have uh, Parks and Wildlife uh, give them responsibility for uh, uh, some of the invertebrates, like, like pollinating insects, uh, which they don't have at present. And I'll just mention that it's been so warm this week that I've actually seen honeybees out flying the last couple of days. And yesterday I saw the first butterfly of the season. Oh, Oh my word. Oh, my goodness. I've been watching the spiders. Yeah, everything's coming out. Oh, that's exciting to hear, David. I'm glad you're sharing that with us. So where do we find this information again? Um, If you do a, a Google search on Colorado native pollinator insects, health study it'll pop right up and it's available for free online all right we're gonna google that that yeah and i think adam can put that link um on the kvnf Mm -hmm. page where you listen to the show so that sounds super exciting and you helped author that got some knowledge going on there's a group of us that worked on that and including 
two of us who work at the, the Rocky Mountain Biological Laboratory yeah, up in Gothic. Uh, oh, above great. Right. Yes. yes. I've gone to some of your talks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've called before, David, um, over the years, yes. and you always have some brilliant oh, yeah. information to share. So thank you. Yeah, glad to help. Okay, right, super. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for the call. Bye. Oh, that's going to be good. Ooh, I mean, yeah. that's just yeah. that out. right in here. Exactly. What we're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. I just uh, thought just a little bit is if you have more than just your little backyard, you can leave a space, you know, like I have 30 acres, you know, and leave a space where you don't even go into. Mm-hmm. Just leave it for the wild guys mm-hmm. and uh, don't disturb them at all. You know, that's one of the things that I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just Okay, just it's native itself. It's native there, and I don't go in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about native plants and why native plants are so important. Yeah. Um, we should talk about uh, what pollinators are real quick before. Yeah. Because I think that's where we were going before we stopped. Oh, yeah. But um, okay. um, when we talk about pollinators, it's not just bees. Um, the European honeybees, the one that come in the boxes, they're everywhere, but they're not our major pollinators. We have a lot of them. So it's bees flies, um, some beetles even, we have hummingbirds, uh, moths, and bats as well are all pollinators, butterflies, let's see, did I mention, yeah. Wow, bats, I wouldn't have even Right, the night pollinators, we don't even Mm. think about, Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, they do the work as well, so, um, and there's tens of thousands of pollinators in the United States, there's something like 70,000 worldwide. So it's not just bees, like we're talking about a lot of different species. And that's why the biodiversity of plants is so important because a lot of these species require different plants. So when you're talking about native species, um, there's a symbiotic relationship. They have a special relationship to a certain plant. And so if you're a butterfly, you want to find a certain native species to lay your eggs on. That's a host plant. So when you, when they find that plant and they lay their larvae on it, then or their their eggs on it, when the larvae hatch, they can immediately start eating that plant. Mm. But if they can't find that native species and they put their eggs on a different type of plant, when the when the eggs hatch, they may not be able to either recognize it as food or, you know, Mm. absorb it as food. Like, it's really important that the insects have uh, a way to access the the natives where they are. Interesting, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what a host plant is. Um, uh, So let's see, where were we? So what are some, um, so native is going to be native, different regions are having different, right. yeah. different and plants, different bugs, right. different pollinators out there. Yeah, and so um, it's so easy, there's, there's lots and lots of uh, options, um, it's easy to look them up and have, you know, a Colorado native, even like Western Slope native, Utah, this whole area, um, because we have we have low organic matter, we have high pH, we need certain kinds of plants that are gonna be able to handle our droughts. Um, so it's a pretty select group, but there's lots of them. So you're not stuck with just yucca and cactus and you know things that you think of as like really drought tolerant plants. There's lots of fun, beautiful options. Yeah, 
And when you're talking the biodiversity, you want to keep it native for those pollinators to find that host plant. And so sometimes we have these dreams of growing blueberry gardens or (laughs) things that we grew, you know, our parents grew and things that you're used to. But those aren't necessarily native and the plants that are going to support the biodiversity. Right, right. So that's kind of a dilemma. You know, you have an attachment to a hydrangea or whatever it was Mm -hmm. where you used, where you grew up. But um, one, it's going to be harder for that plant to flourish here. Um, Not, I mean, not just hydrangeas, but like things that are meant to be on the East Coast, you plant them here and they're, they're going to suffer. So they're they're harder to grow. Uh, They're also, they take more inputs uh, so you have to have the knowledge of like how to feed it, you know, how often do I have to water it? Uh, do I need to adjust for pH because it's used to an acidic soil? Um, and, uh, and it's going to be more attractive to uh, diseases and pests because right. it's not flourishing. It's, it's weak and the insects just come in and take it down because that's what nature does. Sure. Um, and so, you know, you're not helping yourself be a successful gardener by planting these challenging plants, you know, when you could just establish some natives, which are equally as beautiful and kind of in harmony with what we have here. You know, it fits right. our, our, our region. And easier to thrive. I yeah. mean, it's just natural. It feels have, at home. You have so. less to do, which is <laughs> nice. You can just enjoy watching the pollinators, you know, bounce around your garden, mm-hmm. not like fretting and researching why this plant isn't doing well, you know? Right. So. Okay, 527-486-8866, KVN Now. We're talking pollinators with Amber Kleinman and Lance Swaggart on As the Worm Turns. Um, what about nectar? When you think pollinators, you think nectar. Now, is that I? I my brain almost goes to bees right there. But that's sure. Well, I mean, lots of lots of pollinators are going for nectar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, also bees are going for a lot of pollen as well. So bees, especially the European honeybees, are collecting the pollen in large amounts because they take it back to their hive and they pack it in the cells of, uh, okay, so in the center of a hive is where all of the brood is, all the babies. And then the next comb out from that ball of bees is a pollen comb. And so it's a, if you were to pull it out, it's a honeycomb like the others, but every single cell is like a slightly different color because each individual cell is packed with one type of pollen. Wow. So you can, you, each of those cells is just like, this is a dandelion pollen cell. You don't put anything else in there. Really? Right? Yeah. This cell is all fruit tree pollen or maybe just apple tree pollen, but nothing else goes in there. Oh my word. Like every little cell, every, has, cell every house has its own is, yeah. nectar. Yeah. Wow. It's its own, yeah, type. And I, you know, this, this is, they're fascinating in this one thing that they do, many things that make them fascinating, but, um, but they ferment this bee bread and, um, they kind of, you know, mix it with their saliva or what, you know, their, their insect juices and spit it back in and ferment it and then feed it to their young. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Intricate. I mean, just the thinking that's going on there, that's just like... They're yeah. a super organism. Right. That's what makes them so, so interesting. Yeah. Lots of things that they do. And they're getting and a critical. variety of diet, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And all pollen and nectar has different levels of nutrients. You know, mm-hmm. it's different. It's all different, each plant. Um, yeah, so and then the nectar, they're taking in, it goes into their honey stomach, and then that goes into the cells further out, which are the next layer in the hive on the outside, which is the honeycomb, um, which they regurgitate and even pass through other bees on the way up to the honeycomb. So they, some foragers come back and just kind of spit the nectar into the next bee, and then that bee goes up to the top <laughs> and puts it in the honey cells, and then they dry it. So they had to flap the, you know, they... They vibrate and move air through the through the combs, through the honey, to take all the water out of that nectar to where it's the perfect percentage is when it turns into honey. Mm-hmm. Wow. Did not know that. That's really awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I was just writing down a few native plants on my property. Yeah. And uh, just wondering, like the sago lily, is that it? Right. You know, it's quite beautiful. And it's more, the more moisture we have, the more it blooms. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I, that was one of the plants I was thinking of. What about uh, Indian paintbrush? Right. You know, and that's a, that actually has to have a host plant. It doesn't live on its own. It needs uh, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. it has to have a host plant. Mm-hmm. And then, um, let's see, there's a actually dry land viola. Have you ever seen that in the sagebrush? Mm. And it's really small, and if you got moisture, it does blooms longer. Not much, but it actually is there. Huh. And um, wild onions. Oh you yes. You see those little pink mm-hmm. onions? Oh yeah. Yeah, they're those, all over Jumbo. Yeah. Yeah, those are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're early, really early. They're really early. So that's important for the pollinators too. Mm-hmm. Is the 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 plants that are kind of on the shoulder seasons because they come out needing it and they go into the winter needing it. Summer is mm. easy because there's lots of things blooming. Yeah. Spring and fall harder. Yeah. And there's some plants that I don't know the names of that I see out there. Sort of like um, they look like uh, parsley. It could be parsley. Yeah, it could be a wild parsley. Yeah, and there's stuff. A... And then um, the penstemons. Absolutely, the penstemons. And primroses would be mm-hmm. a night. Evening primroses. Oh, uh-huh. And the moths love those. Yeah. yeah, and here's a couple. I know they're not natives, but they're all over the places. Mullen mm-hmm. and whorehound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, Mullen's got that big, tall flower stalk, but it only has a yellow flower here and there. It's not. It would be quite outrageous if it was all solid yellow. Oh, wow, yeah. You know, and uh, whorehound is, what is the color is that it's a light it's, purple, isn't it? It's Pink? kind of blues, gray. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. And that timing is super important, isn't it, Amber? Yeah, yeah. So ideally, when you're planting a pollinator garden, you want to make sure that you have something blooming right out of the gate as soon as possible in April, earlier if possible, and then all the way through frost, if not later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, having that diversity of plants, at least like three plants of each type because if you have just one type of of that plant it won't bring in the bees as much as a a, a 
multiples of a type of plant Mm -hmm. because it saves their energy because they're only collecting one kind of nectar, one kind of pollen at a time. So when they come, they want to see like five different plants. And so they'll really focus Mm -hmm. on that area as opposed to one. Right. So what's, um, starting with spring, what are some good plants to have out that okay, get in your garden? Okay, i list here. Um, <laughs> I think this is what, um, this is something that I've really mm-hmm. learned from you guys is just how to think about your garden as to be ever blooming throughout yeah. the season. And, yeah. And uh, so important. Yeah, so I made a, a list of just my observations. These aren't all natives. These are just plants I've observed and when they start to bloom. Um, so in April, the earliest to come out is the maple trees. Oh, right. Silver yeah. maples, hot wings maples, um, little tiny flowers you will probably never see because they're way above our heads. But, uh, but the those, pollinators are crazy about that. And the, those maple trees hum. Yes. You can hear. Because that's the only ticket what, yeah. in town. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. February. Is when they, oh. yeah, when they start to, mm-hmm. the bees are looking for those trees right now, I bet. Right. Um, honeyberry, yellow flowering currant, that's another super early, mm-hmm. and that makes the, um, the hummingbirds go bananas over yellow flowering currant. That's also a native, also very drought tolerant. Um, it's a shrub, it's bigger. Um, so, uh, so here we are in, maple, in April still, so iris. Uh, lilacs, fruit trees, nepeta, which is uh, catmint, um, super drought tolerant, easy to grow. The pollinators love it, and it's a long season, so it blooms for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I like the drought tolerant piece of it too, mm-hmm. because that could be critical, especially this year uh, and going into yeah, the future. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so viburnums, lupin, soapwort, choke cherries. Salvia, spirea, alliums had in there, um, strawberries, valerian, blue flax. Those are all like earliest, earliest season I have plants. Mahonias. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mahonia too. Yeah. Yep. The Mahonia Fremonte and Mahonia Repens. Mm-hmm. And they're both native. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the Mahonia Repens is usually underneath juniper or oak. And the uh, um, Mahonia Fremonte or Fremont Holly is a bronze colored leaf and it's uh, more of a shrub. Mm-hmm. And the fragrance is really outrageous. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. That's a good one to add. That's quite a list of just early. That's just plants. early. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have a plethora there to choose from. It's <laughs> right. like, it's right. great. Um, I mean, we could do May, June, I have July. Then I have fall forage. Should we try to fit it all in? We only got one, like two minutes left. Give us an end of season thing. Okay, here. so those are the most important. It's mm-hmm. easy to get plants that bloom. May, June, July. Right. Well, July is tricky because it gets hot, and most blooming plants are like, kind of sit out for a while when it's really hot because there's a lot of water put into making flowers and putting flowers out there that get dried up. So they a lot of plants will quit for July and oh. August, and then they'll come back in the fall. So the other fall forage is like yarrow, oregano, mint plants, which come with a caveat, just put them in pots. Like don't, don't set them loose in your yard if you've got a small yard. Um, asters, echinacea, goldenrod, Upright sedums, Russian sage, another one that can get weedy, not a native, but the pollinators love it. Um, Mums, Coreopsis, uh, blanket flower, Gallardia, which is a native, rabbit brush, another native, um, sunflowers, uh, prairie cone flower, and borage. 
is another one. They wow, that's totally dig. a lot. A yeah. lot. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Takes you through the whole season. Yeah. 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 So. Well, we're going to put that link um, to David's uh, article on kvnf.org. And uh, you can also listen to the show again if you miss some of those plants that Amber and Lance were rattling, rattling off. <laughs> so much more. Yeah. Another time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we'll do another pollinator show as we get into the season yeah. and talk about that. Um, because I think it's all going to be super critical this year with water. Mm. And um, we may be choosing how to manage our garden a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, as we get into the, the season. so mm-hmm. And Amber's got it going on over there. And you actually have some bees, don't you? So you're, Yeah, I keep bees. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And we were talking just the other night about how great um, the honey here in Peonia is because of um, organic gardening being so prevalent. And just and lots of people growing lots of mm-hmm. plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the biodiversity have good right there. forage around here. Yeah. yeah. It's not just one or two big crops we've got lots of growers so yeah that makes honey yeah i just i have the moss yeah and that's what actually pollinates all my stone fruit at night oh mm-hmm. yeah they come out it's almost dark and if you go out there and the apricot the peaches the almonds the plums but they don't work with the pears and apples Interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, just hmm. the stone the fruit. stone fruit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that's about. Yeah, yeah, and they're just more dramatic because they're big. Yeah. You know, moths are yeah. tend to be really oh, large. I love them. Yeah. yeah. So insects are super important, super important mm-hmm. to the planet. And we can do something mm-hmm. uh, to help the planet. Anything that you do mm-hmm. is going to be a yeah. step forward to... And- would you, you know, bees like water? Do all these other insects like water? Yeah. In fact, I didn't even get mm. to my maintenance tips, but one of those is uh, put out water or put out like stones that have little divots of, of that can hold water. Um, all the pollinators will find those. So it's really important to put mm-hmm. out water. Oh, yeah. Good okay. point. Yeah, good. thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> Amber, thanks for coming in. Yeah. Thanks for having we'll me. We'll see you yeah. again shortly. Yes. And Lance, always good to have you. And we'll be back next Tuesday for another edition of As the Worm Turns. <laughs> thanks for listening to KVNF. All right, have a good Thank evening. You. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, little oh, and oh.